I think it's, you know, and it still is. I think it's just a deep admiration for who he is as a person, you know, like the, he is, he works hard and, um, but he always is out helping other people, you know, he's, he always wants to be better, but he wants other people to be better too. Um, and he does this like effortlessly and selflessly. And I, you know, it's just, it's something that that's just who he is. And so I just really became attracted to the person that he was. And I recognize this as someone who I wanted to be too. You know? Hola friends, welcome to Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast the only podcast for physicians who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a relationship coach and high-performance coach, Dr. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Medicine, Marriage, and Money. Today, you are in for a special treat. I have Dr. Amy here, Dr. Amy Vertries. And tell me if I'm saying your name correctly. You are saying it correctly. Okay, good. Well, welcome, welcome, Dr. Vertries. She is, and I'm just going to give you a brief introduction and I'm going to let you expand. She is the lovely and amazing wife of 24 years to a full-time father and a mother to a 10 and 14-year-old children. She's a full-time surgeon. And if that is not enough, she also coaches. She is a coach for surgeons. Okay. And she is the founder of the Boss Podcast and the boss coaching group. So, and tell us more because you're also a prolific writer. You have all these ideas. You're a prolific reader, always sharing all these ideas. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Amy Bertrand. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Uh, what an amazing uh, introduction. Thank you so much for all that. I mean, I just feel like kind of an ordinary person, quite honestly. <laughs> tell us, I want, I always like to start with what makes a successful marriage and I, I sometimes ask people, what is your definition of marital interdependence? Because here at Medicine, Marriage, and Money, we believe that marital interdependence is when your marriage is successful. And tell us what, in your words, what does that look like to you? I mean, I think it's such a great question. And there's so many layers to it. Um, you know, the idea of like a marriage in general is, for me, it's just finding someone who you know, in that moment is someone who you need and they need you. Um, I think it's like a symbiotic um, relationship of, you know, identifying someone who honors and respects you, that you honor and respect. And it builds on this, you know, this interconnection of another person who is, you know, not just, you know, not just a partner, but someone who makes you better. And you get the validation of making the you feel like you're making them better too. And, you know, it's that, that challenge in, in a good way, you know, positive validating way is I think, you know, what makes a good marriage. Um, and, you know, and I, I know this because when I do it wrong, that's when. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't do it right all the time. Right. Like when you, you lose maybe a little bit of the uh, feelings of respect, like, okay, let's get back there. But I love how you said that. Yeah. We make each other better. I make them better. They make me better. Um, yes, yes. We validate each other's feelings. So take us back, take us back. What was it? 24? Was it 30 years ago? 
when did you guys first meet? How, what, and how did you fall in love? Oh, I love that you, you know, like taking it back there too, because it feels like a million years ago. Um, but it, it also goes into another a different lesson too, is like, you know, have you ever like felt off track and off kilter and like, what am I doing here? What is going on in life? And that happened to me, you know, so I, I skipped my senior year of high school and I went to college early. And so I was ahead of everybody, you know, and so I was doing great and I never identified this at the time, but, you know, I had my own imposter syndrome at that time. You know, I was president of our pre-med society, you know, I was ahead of all my peers and, you know, I was doing pretty well, but then I wasn't, you know, doing all that well. Cause interestingly enough in college, you know, we don't really learn how to learn. And I think there was some internal part of me saying, I'm not sure how I'm doing this. I'm not sure how this is working out. I'm not sure how I can, you know, do more in school. And so Instead of going to medical school, I went to graduate school. So I was there for two and a half years. And, you know, it felt like a little bit like a cop out and but it was still useful. But I actually learned how to learn. I learned how to I learned how to teach. And our questions were our tests were now not multiple choice. They were essays. So I really had to learn how to learn. Um, but then it really wasn't a good fit for me. And so I left. And I ended up getting a job at a mortgage bank. You know, interesting enough, it was the only job I can get with my biology degree. And, you know, so that felt like, like, what am I doing here? I mean, like, I, I was completely lost in that moment of going, what am I doing with my life? And I don't know. Um, and so uh, ironically, uh, looking back now that that job was, of course, meant to find a spouse. <laughs> I, I met my husband at work. You know, had had I not gone on this, you know, sort of um, off the beaten path, I would have not found a person that was outside of what I had normally experienced. You know, this wasn't someone that was, you know, like the college people that I was around. It was someone who was completely different. Um, you know, he and I had similar work ethics and, you know, I got to know him over time in pretty low stakes things of, you know, we're just getting to know each other at work and things like that. And then you start to like them and admire them and, you know, you want to spend more time with them. And then all of a sudden, you know, you don't really see a time when you don't want to spend with them. Oh my gosh. Yes. I like that too. You want to, you, you want to spend most of your time with them or there's not, because I feel like my first couple of boyfriends, Amy, I didn't want to spend any time with them. I'm like, why are they always over here? Like, and then when I met Victor, I'm like, we're always together. I completely confused my girlfriends. They're like, wait a second. You like, like hanging out with your boyfriend now? <laughs> yeah. It's so it's so refreshing. Okay. So what was it about him? that made you fall in love? Like what was it about him that allowed you to want to stay in his presence so much? I think it's, you know, and it still is. I think it's just a deep admiration for who he is as a person, you know, like the, he is, he works hard and, um, but he always is out helping other people. You know, he's, he always wants to be better, but he wants other people to be better too. Um, and he does this like effortlessly and selflessly. And I, you know, it's just, it's something that that's just who he is. And so I just really became attracted to the person that he was. And I recognized this as someone who I wanted to be too. So I think a lot of the uh, attraction was the fact that, that he was doing what I really admired and I wanted to be more like him. Wow. Oh my, I can see myself in your story, Amy. <laughs> and do you feel like these are the same um, qualities that you're still in love with today or if they oh, changed? Even more so. I mean, you know, to the point where, I mean, it gets a little scary too, when you like have so much dependence on someone because of like, 
I mean, gosh, he does so much for me. He makes my life so much easier. Like every now and then I'll have this like little crisis of going, oh my gosh, what would I do without him? Like life would be terrible, (laughs) be awful. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So yeah, he was one of those people you, you actually wanted to be more like him. Um, Now, do you find yourselves, because you've been married 24 years. Okay. I know there's been conflict. I know there's been times we've been angry at each other. You haven't respected each other the way you would like. How do you get through those times? Yeah. Oh, I can tell you like the worst time of our entire marriage was actually the one thing that that set us free. Um, So I was in the military and I was deploying, you know, every other year. And he was working, he was um, working full-time in a uh, computer software company who's doing compliance, these big, huge contracts with things like that. And, you know, we had two kids at this time and I was about to go on my third deployment. And, um, you know, and I was also getting out of the military after that too, because my contract was going to be up by that time. And, you know, he was stressed to the max and I was stressed about him being stressed. And, you know, I was like, why don't you just quit? You know, why don't you just quit and stay at home? I was like, you know, that it's it's just, it's too much. It's too much for you. And, you know, I I worry about all this and we're going to be fine. It's like, you know, I'm going to deploy and you're going to be essentially a single parent. And, you know, then we're going to move and you'd have to find another job anyway. And, you know, we make enough money. That's not a problem. So why don't you just quit? Um, and so, you know, he did. And I think that we didn't recognize what a shift that would be in life of going from, you know, him being full time and getting that validation from work and then realizing like, you know, when you're a stay at home parent, you have to find validation in a different way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a job I don't want good grief. Um, but, you know, for a while is that especially, you know, being him being the, the male and the stereotypical culture, um, is not always valued or appreciated. And we still run into problems of, you know, like, with activities like cheerleading, they're like, oh no, this, this um, network is for the cheerleading moms, not the cheerleading dads. And I'm like, well, don't tell me when practice is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. so it's, you know, really just the, that is a huge mind shift of getting your validation from an external source of work to generating that, you know, as a stay-at-home parent, it's a really, really hard shift um, for for him and for me. And it involves, you know, really tapping into communication skills and understanding what expectations are. And, you know, when you're meeting them, when you're not meeting them on both sides too, you know, uh, it's it was a really difficult time to navigate, but there was no other way we could survive if he, was, if he wasn't. Yeah. So it's like you needed it. It just, you had to work, work away that huge change. Like I can't even imagine, right? Like quitting all of the things I do in life and just being a mom. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. That's like when my, that's when my monster emotions come out. At yes. Oh my gosh. So yeah. And then you go to work to escape. Where does he get escape to? I go to vacation every <laughs> single day, Amy, just, you know, either to the hospital or to my office. <laughs> I mean, I go to be a surgeon because that job is easier. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, I I told that to a few residents um the other day. I'm like, yeah, I'm going home to my to the hardest job in the world. Like this job is easy. And they kind of looked at me at like with deer in the headlights because they don't um have kids. So they're like, and you know, and like when I was a resident, I'd have kids. Residency was hard, you know, like that was hard. I couldn't wait to get through it. And here I'm saying that it's 
crazy, you know? So a different way of looking at it, but I'm like, yes, no, parenting, completely different. <laughs> okay, so you're finding your way through that. So you had to like discuss expectations. You had to tap into your feelings, him and yours. Um, I, it sounds like maybe there was just a lot of like allowing, you said like he, he didn't get as much external validation. So maybe did he have to like learn how to find more internal validation or how do you think you helped him navigate that? Well, you know, I, I can think of one like really dumb, um, you know, example that was really kind of like a, indicative of the problem. It's like, I woke up one morning and I was going to work and I was like, why is the coffee made? I mean, you're at home. Why are you not making the coffee for me? <laughs> Why is the coffee not made? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I wake up and I have this assumption and then I get really mad. And so he wakes up and I'm mad and he's like, why is she mad? And he, he has no idea that my narrative was, if you're at home, you make the coffee so I don't have to, you know, like, like that was the simplest, dumbest thing. But that's, that's exactly like what happens is that the unspoken expectations that I think are obvious and he does not. Um, and that was just a really, you know, a, a simple example of, of how you had to be really careful to say like, you know, the job description has changed and do we know what this job description is? That is a perfect example. You may think it sounds simple and dumb, but it's actually, you can apply that to, to the reason why everybody is mad at their spouse, right? Like so many people, it's because we, we think things should be intuitive. We think our spouse and almost we say, no, they don't have to read our mind, but we do like they like, well, they've been with me 24 years. Shouldn't they just sense that I'm sad and know exactly what to do? Like they I've asked for it every day for 24 years. Well, no, no, like it's not that simple. You know, you think it's that simple because you're in your own body. But knowing, you know, does your spouse know that every time you pull up and you want to get the the kids out of the car that you expect them to stop whatever they're doing? Maybe they're, you know, they're doing something, they're deep in focus, whatever, or taking care of the house on a phone, important phone call, or maybe even just like taking care of themselves. They have to stop what they're doing, come outside, help you get the kids out without you even asking. Like they just have to know all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I can see where um, the problem that that he had, because he's mentioned it, is, is, you know, he like changes where his validation comes from. And so then, you know, he starts overworking um, where I'm like, you don't have to do all these things. And, and you know, so you do all these things and then now he gets, you know, a little bit resentful. Like now I'm doing all the things and I'm like, well, I didn't actually do all the things, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Are we talking about like household things? Oh yeah, I can't even think of any examples because this was a while ago um, that we've you know kind of overcome all that too. But you know now I realize is that you know I had to verbalize a lot of you know validation and appreciation for the things that he did do, and to be careful about how I approach it too because you know kind of using that you know coffee example too. Like so now I'm mad at him for doing coffee. Now he's like, okay, fine. Now I'll just do the coffee. But now he's making the coffee, but not out of love and appreciation. It's you know just oh here you know this will make you happy, won't it? <laughs> you yeah. know? Right. We don't want robots. We don't want to be married to somebody who's just doing things to please us constantly and then being unhappy about it. Right. And, you know, we have to overcome, like, like for me, I had to overcome asking for things. You know, I didn't like to ask for things. I like for things just to happen, you know? So in this particular instance of saying like, you know, 
it would really help out a lot. You know, since you're up later and I go to bed earlier, if you wouldn't mind making the coffee for me, that would actually take a lot of time off of me. So I put this in the, you know, this would really help me and I'd appreciate it versus why the hell won't you do this? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I have this, I have this exercise that one of my friends actually gave me. And Every week, you know, when you have your like 15 minute powwow, whether it's Sunday night or Monday morning, I I like to do Sunday nights with your spouse. And um, the one thing you ask, or like there's three things you ask. And one of the really good questions to ask is, how can I show up for you in a way that makes your life easier this week? Or how can, how can I make your life easier this week? Like, is there anything I can say, anything I can do, any place I can be. Um, and maybe this week it's making sure I have coffee every morning. Would you be able to do that? Discuss it, right? Like maybe he wants to work out early one morning and so it won't happen, but, um, just discuss, is that possible? Yeah. It's just, it's interesting because like some of these little tasks too, because then every now and then I'll get up and like, okay, you know, I'll make the coffee now too. So I'll show like a little bit of, you know, participating. I mean, like this is like the smallest, but most tangible example, because I think a lot of these things happen on on a bigger scale is that the assumptions that things are going to happen, not explaining, you know, like, you know, or asking in the right way um, are really, you know, I think the the biggest downfall was we had early on. And as a, as a full-time surgeon for how many years, Amy, how many years have you been a surgeon? Um, I finished residency in 2010. Okay. So like 12 years or something. Um, you, I bet you could also afford to buy a cup of coffee every morning if you wanted to. I like there's other options here. Uh, but you know, there's nothing like that home brewed cup of coffee with your own cream and your own <laughs> special organic sugar or whatever, you know. You I'm, know? Just, I'm like, laughing at the picture. Yes, I'm laughing at the picture of the morning because, and you'll see, if you saw my mornings, you'll know that it's like not possible for me to stop and get coffee because, um, and this is where, you know, our relationship sort of evolves is that, you know, I get up in the morning and I and I do things like, you know, read stuff like that's the time that I pick for myself. And I will look at the clock and I will wait till like the very last minute. So where he'll start like making these noises in the background of like, get ready, the train's coming through because I'm like, I've got to go, I've got to do these things. You've had your morning meditation, your hour meditation to yourself. And then like in two minutes, everything has got to happen. Yep. He said, train wreck's going on. There she is. There she goes. And so he kind of like marries my morning of going like, there she goes. Everyone get out of her way. And can you laugh about it? Is it funny? It's it's very funny because it's Um, so true. I'll I'll get in the car and I'll come back and I'm like, I forgot my badge. And then, you know, it's, it's, he just, um, you know, we find a little bit of music from it. He, he pokes fun at me a little bit, but it's definitely in a, in a loving uh, and way. And so my role now is to provide entertainment for him in the morning. Oh, that is so sweet. I know. Yeah. Like the, the strongest couples, they can laugh at things, right? They don't take themselves too seriously, themselves too seriously. So, and you've got two little, you said girls or boys, girls, Both girls, yeah, 10 to 14. So you've got two little girls. So Tell us a little bit about the evolution, how you found, how you can be a full-time surgeon, mom, wife, and coach. Like, how do you do that and why? I I think it's really important that you develop your own personal sense of self and, you know, what makes you happy. Because if you, um, if you give into everything that the other person, you know, may want or need, um, it comes at a cost to you. 
And, you know, you have to accept that you're going to make everybody unhappy, including yourself. You know, there has to be some acceptable level of discomfort of I'm not always going to get my way and they're not always going to get their way. Um, That's probably, I think, the biggest lesson that I've learned over time is that, you know, like it's it's never going to be perfect. You can't make you said you can't make anyone else happier. What was that you said? Well, I think that we accept that that everyone's going to have some degree of unhappiness. Uh, I can't be happy all the time. They can't be happy all the time. So when they have disappointment, I have to ask myself, you know, is, is what I need, you know, more important than accepting, you know, this, this level of disappointment, you know, is their level of disappointment, you know, within the realm of reasonable and expected, expected to be able to do some of the things that I know that I need to do for me, like the longer gain, um, and, you know, is giving in the short time, the short term worth it in the long time term. And sometimes that's true. Like, you know, on Saturday will come about and I need, I need to do something. I, you know, you know, writing a book chapter or uh, article or, you know, podcast or something like that. And my kid's like, you know, I want to go to the mall. I'm like, I don't want to go to the mall. And, you know, some days I do and some days I don't. Um, and, you know, they they both feel terrible. You know, like I go to the mall and I don't want to or I stay at home and I feel terrible for not going. Um, but, you know, I, I'm trying to gauge when is this terrible feeling not outweighing what I need to do that day. Ah, Yeah. Like so learning how to kind of fill your own cup, not doing things because of other people want you to do them. But knowing there may be a level of discomfort in in either option, so which option is more is more aligned with your with whatever it is you're needing in that day, and you know I like the question too, like what am I needing in this moment? What is my family needing in this moment, including me? Because even if your family needs to go to their mall, your two girls want to go to the mall. If you're going to go to the mall with them, and you're going to feel unaligned and resentful and angry, that's not going to go well either. I mean, I can't say yes all the time because I feel like that, you know, there are things that I need to do that, that I feel are more important in that moment, but I can't say no all the time either, because, you know, at some point putting their needs above mine is important. And, you know, my word for the year, which I I thought was actually kind of useful was, uh, was trust. And, you know, I think really like developing that relationship with myself that I can, you know, really know what I need at that moment. And, you know, a lot of times what I need is, is that relationship to, to grow and be sustainable. And I think for the relationship to be sustainable, I think that we both have to get what we need, but we also, that means some level of sacrifice too, and trusting the right balance. And I think that then when you mentioned alignment, it makes a lot of sense too. Like, are we aligning what we both want um, and, and what we both need? Yes. Yes. Trusting yourself. Like when you said trust. Yeah. Like, yeah. Trust in knowing that you, what you need in the moment. Oh my gosh. Okay. So speaking of trust, how do you guys deal with your finances? How do you guys decide how much money to spend? And like, and how do you trust each other with that? If one of you guys is doing it and one is not, what, what are you doing there? Oh, that's a great um, example because that was a problem early on too, um, where, you know, when we both made a lot of money, it went in the pot and we went combined it together because it was just easier. We didn't have to worry about it. Um, but, you know, when he became a stay-at-home dad, you know, I, he started developing this, like asking me for stuff. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not your employer. That's not how this is working. You know, I have a job that pays money and you have a job that is blood, sweat and tears. And I was like, you know, I, I like this arrangement. I don't want your job. Yeah. Um, 
And so what it does is it kind of goes into our combined money and effort. And, you know, I provide this, you know, like dollars and you provide, you know, sweat equity. So, you know, I didn't recognize that that until I started realizing he was asking me for things. I was like, you know, you don't have to ask for things. Um, and so like, we've always been very uh, collaborative and joined in those things. Um, but when that dynamic change was the only time it really came up. And now it's it's kind of like, a, okay, this is all of our money. Um, and we do talk to each other about big things. But for the most part, you know, I usually manage the, the details of it because I like that stuff and he doesn't. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So you just had to learn that he's allowed to go spend um, money without asking you. And that maybe that was just a little bit because I can see how that might be. He, he may eventually have felt like controlled or trapped or something, right? If he had to do that forever. That was my first indication that there was there was some lack of understanding about what his contribution was, which I thought was enormous. And he, he wondered. Mm, yeah, I see. I see this. I see this a lot. Not even in, you know, in in a lot of relationships where even if they're both bringing in money, somebody else, somebody's bringing in more, right? It's Mm -hmm. not always equal. And so this is a very, very important concept. Very, very important to just put that on the table, talk about it. Like what you guys did, you, you realized, okay, let's, let's just make this known. So that's beautiful. And then after founding your boss podcast and coaching group, how did that affect your marriage or did it? Yeah, I, I was good, going to mention that too, because it does fit into the, the cultural na- narrative. You know, the more I did, the more people, like the more I got attention and then they would, you know, look at him and say like, you know, well, how, they look at me and say, like, how are you doing all this? And I was like, well, I'm doing this because I like to, I, I'm doing this because I have the capacity to do so because he takes so much off of my plate that I don't have to deal with. And so, you know, I was getting a lot of attention, but he was not. And, you know, quite honestly, there's no way I could do this without him. So, um, you know, a lot of people feed into the narrative that could, if we did not have a strong relationship, um, feeding into that narrative of like, look at how much your wife is doing, you know, with the obvious comparison of saying like, well, are you doing as much? And if you have that, um, not sure of the value that you're offering, you could see how that again could feed into um, overworking on others. So, so now he's doing something he doesn't want to do to try to keep up to this perception that was never my perception. Yeah. So how did you, so again, then you talked about like when people say that, do you feel like you have to have a discussion or you guys are just on the same page? Like, look, do you see everything my husband does? He mm-hmm. like runs the house, takes care of two separate human beings. Like, Oh yeah. Oh no. I, I say, I say to him all the time, I think that he knows now, but I still say it all the time. And I say it, you know, to him personally, and I say it publicly too, because it's totally true. I mean, I think that probably my biggest stress in life is if something happened to him, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Um, you know, just because he's, you know, like the, the, the backbone of the family, he does all the things, you know, he's the one we all rely on. And it's not just us. It's just like all the peripheral f- folks. I mean, like, he's just such a, um, a center of, of help and stability that, um, I just have to remind him, you know, just in case he forgets. Yeah. And this deserves recognition, whether you're this Mm -hmm. full-time father or the full-time mother, you deserve all the recognition. And so I always recommend start with, if, if you can't like 
the whole work of coaching, right, is finding that within yourself. And it sounds like as because you're a coach, you're able to work that out and 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 manage that with your husband. But a lot of people listening, they may not be coaches, right? And they may be still searching for their external validation that their their spouse maybe cannot provide. So how do you recommend people when they're feeling this way, uh, undervalued or underappreciated? And they can't get it from their spouse because they're not. Yeah. Amy, how do they start? Yeah. You know, and and you had the nail on the head. I think, you know, coaching really clarified this for me is this, this idea of, you know, we have these thoughts that generate feelings and, you know, our thoughts are our thoughts and our feelings are our feelings. And, you know, it was freeing for me, not just in this relationship, but all relationships is to recognize that I cannot make someone feel something. You know, I cannot make people validated at work. I cannot make people feel validated at home, but I can provide the environment where they could. And so I think it was really like, what is my responsibility? You know, my responsibility is to create the environment where he feels validated. You know, so I have very clear directions. You know, I'll tell him, I'll show him, you know, I'll inquire to see if there's things that I could do better. But when it comes to a sense of validation, I don't feel like I own that, you know, and that's very freeing. So now I don't have that urgent energy, that convincing energy. You know, I have the like, I mean, I'm going to do what I can and I'm going to ask you what you need and the rest is up to you. Yes. Yeah. Very freeing. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to talk about, Amy, is I know in your own coaching program, you guys have been focused on discussing the difficult partner. And I think this is such a good topic and in alignment with what, with what we talk about at Medicine, Marriage, and Money, because I know when you talk about the difficult partner, you're referring to your surgeon partner, you know, mm-hmm. your work partner, your work colleague. But I think all of this stuff can also be applied at home. Whether we call our spouse difficult or not, sometimes we think of them that way and we're get, our thoughts are getting in our own way. So Tell us a little bit about um, the difficult partner. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, the, the I created the the Boss Business of Surgery series, which is lessons not taught in residency. And you know, there's four concepts: there's difficult partner, there's you know about complications, and stop hitting clinic and everything's negotiation. But perhaps everyone is always interested in the difficult partner or colleague. You know, I mean, we all have that person and, you know, or people that set us off at work. And these are the ones that we, you know, we look at like, this is why my job is miserable. It's because of you, you know, like that person or that interaction that makes us feel terrible. And so, you know, I go through and we work through these because, you know, I just had um, the first session of our uh, the Difficult Partner three-month program a couple of weeks ago. And it's funny because it's like, who is the Difficult Partner colleague for you? And everyone had a little bit of different things like, oh, it's this partner. Oh, it's this, you know, hospitalist I have to consult with. It's the middle management. It's the big administrators. You know, everyone had like a different person that interacts with them. And I think that that really goes to the problem is it's not actually that other person in general, you know, because then, and I challenge him as like, if the, if the person you considered your difficult partner or colleague, if, you know, Joe Schmo down the street says the exact same thing to you, and that doesn't get a rise from you, there is a thought about your colleague that you really need to look at. You know, there's something that this person is reflecting back to you. So this is not actually them, you know, they are reflecting something in you, a thought that you have about yourself. 
um, that you really need to explore for yourself because it's not that other person's fault that we feel this way, you know, and that's really taking ownership of the thoughts that we have and the feelings that we have. You know, people can provide us with words and circumstances, but really it's our reaction to them that we really have to understand. And so, you know, I really encourage people to find that person and explore it and see because that person, the one that you find the most difficult, the one that you avoid, the one that makes your life miserable is actually the ticket for getting, for setting yourself free. Like the only way through it or the only way to get out on the other side of it is to go through it. Wow. Okay. I love how you said if you can just go, if Joe Schmo down the street says that phrase that right triggered you from the difficult partner, but when Joe Schmo says it, or maybe your best friend says it, or the secretary says it, it means nothing. Mm-hmm. That is the, that's, that's the area to dig deeper in. Yeah. There's something else to it. It's not just the words, right? It's what we're telling ourselves about that difficult person. Yeah. Okay. That's beautiful, Amy. So tell us where. We can find you if we have any surgeon friends listening. Where can they find you? How can they work with you? Yeah, I think they I try to put as much on the um, on the uh, website. So bossurgery.com is going to take you to a link to the podcast. It's going to take you to the podcast guide where I've you know compiled a lot of these um, under different titles. So you know leadership and clinic and you know the relationships and things like that. Um, and then also um, the link for coaching is on there too. So if you're the you know, coaching curious, want to look at the programs, that's a way to do that. I also have um, a boss coaching Facebook group that is uh, open to surgeons and some people whose message I resonate with as well too. Cause you know, really the become the boss MD is kind of where this is evolving. Um, I have a book coming out in a few months called uh, become the boss MD that talks about lessons, not taught in residency, which are all these things that, you know, we figure out all the things in residency. We become these, you know, highly competent people. And then all of a sudden we're set off in the world and we're like, Whoa, what just happened here? Like there's all this stuff. No one told me about this after all these years, all these things, you know? Um, so that's, that's kind of where my mission in life is, is to really, you know, pick up where residency ends up and teach these lessons that we're not taught. Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you. And we're going to put a link to that in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming to speak to us today, Dr. Vertrees, or is there um, anything else, anything we didn't mention regarding medicine, marriage, and money, or we kind of covered everything? I think so too. And I'm just, I'm so in, in much admiration of your mission because I mean, we really, to set ourselves free, we have to sort out these things. Like, you know, we have to stop trying to do things ourselves, which means that we have to build these relationships and especially the one at home. I cannot imagine being able to work at a high level and not having your home in order. So thank you so much for all you're doing. Thank you so much, Amy. Oh my gosh, just what a perfectly way to start my morning is talking to Dr. Amy Vertries from the Boss Podcast. I just love her. She has so many good points to talk about. Let me just let me just gather my thoughts here. The first thing that I loved is how she shared with us. Okay, take home points. Number three, number one. What she loved about her partner. Why she fell in love is because she said her spouse was just so giving, so caring. He wanted to help other people uh, and in helping other people constantly was kind of like helping himself. And he just gave of himself and it filled him. 
And she loved that quality in him and wanted to be just like him. She, she looked up to him. She knew she could, she could, right? If she wanted to. I love how when we talk about our love stories, we remember our our we just remember to look at our partner in a different light. You know, she you kind of shed the anger, you kind of shed the resentment. And not that Amy has any of that. I'm not saying, you know, occasionally she may when she shared her coffee story, right? So funny. So just I want you guys to think, you know, what is it that I really admire about my partner? And what do I emulate? What can I strive? How can I strive to be like my partner in this way that I love? Or do I want to? Do I want to be that way or do I just want to love that about them? So take home point. Number two, you cannot make everyone happy all of the time. We can't say this enough. I know I've said it before and we can't say it enough. When your decision becomes staying home to work on projects that bring you joy and also you need to get done or you want to get done versus going to the mall and being unhappy because your kids want you to take them to the mall. You know, what is going to be the best option for your whole family, including you? Uh, And can it be a both situation? Does it have to be either or, right? the black and white thinking. Maybe it doesn't have to be either or. Maybe there can be a compromise. Maybe you you can find both what you need. A couple hours here, a couple hours there. Maybe I can allow you to go with your friends or to go with, I can drop you off. I mean, if you're old enough, right? So Mary, maybe there's other solutions. Just going back to the first part of number two, you cannot make everyone happy Instead of making everyone else happy, just ask yourself, what does your family need right now in this moment? And start with yourself first. Because if mama ain't happy, ain't no one happy. We know that. We know that is truth. Number three, the difficult partner. And this was such an important point. If you, if there's a phrase, right, that your spouse or some words that your spouse said to you, and it triggered something, and you reacted in a way you didn't want to react. Maybe you yelled, maybe you threw a tantrum, maybe you shut down, maybe you're in an argument with them now. Well, let's just imagine that that phrase, whatever they said, was said by another random person. Maybe your neighbor told you, maybe your work colleague told you, maybe your child told you. If you can allow your child to say the same words that that difficult partner, spouse, or you know, colleague, or your spouse, they aren't allowed to say it because it means all this when they say it. But when my kid says it, or when my admin at work says it, it doesn't mean you know that I let that slide. I let that pass because I know I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Figure out well, why aren't you giving your spouse, or why aren't you giving that difficult partner the benefit of the doubt? And once you figure that out, that is your ticket to freedom, my friends. So beautifully said by Dr. Amy. Those are my three big take-home points for today. I hope you guys walk away asking yourself, are there any unspoken expectations I have for my spouse? Are there any unspoken expectations my spouse has for me? 
Can we have 15 minute Sunday night meetings to discuss how I can support them most? Where is one area in your week I can support you most upcoming? And how do I express gratitude for my partner on the daily? How can I express gratitude for my partner on the daily, whether that's in my head? Can I translate that to words? Can I translate that to actions? And then trust. How can I trust myself to know that I know what I need in every moment that I am walking and alive and breathing on this planet Earth? How can I trust myself 5% more to know that I know what I need? That is it, my friends. So much love to you and your spouse. And if just a reminder, if you want to get on the wait list for my Making Marriage Work program, doors are closed. We are on with our beautiful, uh, our beautiful couples every Tuesday night. If you want to get on the wait list for our next cohort, which will begin in March, email me. Let me know. Reach out. Kate Mangona at medicinemarriageandmoney.com or just find me on Facebook and message me, Kate Mangona. And I'll put you on the wait list. So much love, my friends. If you are finding the concepts I teach in this podcast useful and want more in-depth, personalized support for your relationship, consider this your invitation to join me in creating the most connected and intimate relationship with your spouse that you could dream of. Go to www.medicinemarriageandmoney.com right now and download my 18-page Medical Marriage Survival Guide and Workbook at no cost to you. It has been known to decrease fighting, rumination, and grudges between your loved ones. If you want to take it a step further, really enhance the joint connection in all of your relationships, including those most intimate and dear to you, sign up for a discovery call by clicking contact us and book a free consultation. Thank you for leaving a five-star review and for telling your friends about the podcast. You have the power to improve someone else's life simply by sharing and reviewing this podcast. Much love to you and your spouse. You are exactly where you need to be in this moment.